Yes, people. Okay, so <laughs> it is part two of this week's Echo Chamber. Get them up, get them up. Wow. <laughs> so in this part, we um, look at the new film Curse of Aurora, which is out this Friday. And um, it's a little special because we, we break down the film and then we speak to the director and writers. So people, hey, hope you enjoy it. Sit back. Let's go. Hmm. Okay, people, so I'm minding my business, right? But I get a message from um, AJ Foyerman, right? And, hey, I have to say, every time she hits me up, it's always good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's always good. I get an opportunity to speak to some incredible people, right? That's how I got to... Um, Oh, I, I, you know, the Cuban singing one, um, that documentary, Clairvoyant, you know what I mean? Um, American Badger had some fantastic opportunities. So obviously I will always jump at it, right? So, um, yeah, she's like, uh, got this film coming out this week. So I was like, all right, I will check that out. Okay. Um, I, it was a horror. You know, which, uh, you know, I'm always a bit like, oh, can I watch that? That that one seems like it could happen. And found footage stuff especially is a little inconcerting. A little inconcerting? No, that's not the right word. Hmm. Um, you know what I mean, right? It's a little close to home. So, yeah, but again, it's AJ Foreman. So I... Yeah, I, I watched it. The um the film in question, people, is uh Curse of Aurora. I feel that's how I'm I'm pronouncing it right. Curse of Aurora. And this is the second feature from Meran C. Oh how do you pronounce his his name? Trug Trugly. Hmm. Oh no, sorry. Torgly. Yes. Miran C. Torgly. His second feature. Uh he co-wrote it with one of the stars, Liana Barron. Um he, I mean, they both have a number of different hats on. So it is produced by Baron, um, Mina, Mina Brighton, and Kevin Pardu. Uh, executive produced by Matt uh, Sham, Shambari. Yeah, Matt Shambari, uh, Benavido Koyadin. Um, oh, and sorry, Trugly 
Torogli as well produces. Um, Torogli also edits the film. Uh, Baron and Mark Richards take care of the sound. Um, all the sound design and everything like that. Right. Uh, the special effects are from Daniel Lamb, Martin uh, Muna, and Pierre Skullenberger. Uh, Torgli handles the visual effects. Baron, Jordan Kaplan, and Alex Wilson handle the camera. Um, and electrical stuff. And Hilary Barry is also helping out. Now, our stars of the film. Well, as mentioned, we have Leanna Barron, who plays Lena. We have Lex Wilson, who plays Aaron. And we have Jordan Kaplan, who plays Kevin. We also have um, a friend of Lena. Chantel, who's played by Agatha uh, Salazman. Uh, and there is a, a clairvoyant who's played by um, Roxanne Desely, and she's called Blanche. And the film is kind of bookended by uh, Casey Nolan. Right? And I... It's a true, it's a real person. Casey Nolan is a real person, right? Which I didn't know. I did not know until I gave this a go, right? So, um, what is the film about? Well, as mentioned, right, we it's found footage. So, a dark web thumb drive reveals footage of three American filmmakers in rural Quebec researching a historic child murder case. After witnessing several disturbing paranormal occurrences, they attempt to communicate with the spirit of the child. <laughs> yeah, not um, not the wisest thing to do, right? I it's not something I would be like. Yeah, people, go ahead, let's do that. It's like in the horror when um, everyone's just like a. Don't run up the stairs. What are you doing? You know, and the people are like, I gotta hide, I gotta hide in a place with no no other exit. You know, it is just like ah, oh my days. So yeah, as I said, look, Casey Noland bookends it with his actual YouTube show, Mind Send Mind Seed TV. So he's on the show and he's talking about um, the things they do. And he's just like, yo, I used to buy stuff off the dark web, which I kind of feel isn't necessarily something you you want to be admitting to. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. It'd be like, hey, people, I, I'm always on the dark web. Yeah, it seems a bit like mm, a little dicey, but he's just like, look, you know, we often buy these boxes, these mystery boxes, and we open them up, but they are disturbing. And he's like, oh, yeah. And, you know, sometimes I, I have to hand the stuff over to the police and be like, yeah, no shit. Right? 
no shit. If it looks so suspicious, of course you would. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, he's just like, um, in this one box, I found these things. Right? And so there's these items, and one of the items is this pen drive. And he's just like, um, yeah, so, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. Didn't know what to do because, you know, anything could be on this. So luckily, I got a burner laptop. And you're just like, wait, what? No, so you bought another laptop. <laughs> and essentially, a burner, that's all you did. You bought a cheap laptop. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, but yeah, so he plugs the um, thing in, and that's how we we're brought into the film. Which I will say, that is a pretty decent way to uh, jump into this. You know what I mean? They they did it right. So we then see two guys in an airport, and we also see some items that were in the box so you straight away understand what's going on right because casey has held, held certain things up and he's just like oh yeah this was oh yeah i found this oh, and so when you get to this footage and then these people you're like hold on that was in the box that was in the box you're like oh okay 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 so um yes they they've arrived in quebec and uh, so it's Kevin and Aaron. We're seeing Kevin. Aaron's holding the camera. And they meet their friend, Lena, who, uh, you know, she, she's injured herself. She's in a cast. Right. And so it, it's it basically we understand from this that, yeah, they, these, these are friends. They've already shot one thing together so later on it does sound like they've worked together a good few times right they've been doing this for a long time um but from you know the initial they they've shot they've shot a film and now they're working on another film while they're sorting out the distribution and all of that right so they're um in quebec because lena's family own a cottage so, um, yeah, we, we see them basically just, you know, navigating all of this, hanging out as friends and all of that. And I will say all of that, it, it, it is kind of captured well. It is believable, right? Because sometimes you watch these things and you don't really buy the friendships you know what I'm saying? Or the hangs feel, uh, they feel a little forced. And the hangs always felt honest and real, right? They're, now, I mean, I will say there are things that do, did make me wonder a little bit, but the hangs, hangs are cool. You know, and, and I think they did capture um, being stoned pretty well. Well, I mean, I mean, there's see the thing with being stoned is there's a lot of different interpretations of right. There's people who have different experiences, but what we saw here 
it didn't feel like the typical, you know, you see someone puffing on a joint and then it's just like, hey guys, I feel super hungry. Let's, and you're like, hey, hey, come on, man. You know what I mean? Because, it, it, yes, maybe some people, it's not everyone. You know what I mean? And then not always straight, or it's not like it's straight away, right? You might get to a point where you're like, yo, let's get some fucking food, man. But, you know, not after like one fucking hit. You're like, oh, I must eat now. <laughs> so all of that was good. So you did feel kind of immersed in this film, right? So that was great. Now, all with them like hanging because they're trying to work out this film. They're trying to work out the next film and how they're going to do it. But everything kind of happens. There's these things that fall into place, which leads them to thinking, actually, I think we have something here. I think we have a, a project and yeah, it, it all of it works. All of it works. Now, the one thing that like there's so, so much crazy in here because they go to Quebec, right? And I feel everyone knows Canada has a you know a French component to it, but there are only there are certain cities where French is you know, basically the main tongue. So if you're going there, you need, you, you need some French, right? Or if you don't have French, at least some trans translation tools. And I think with the advert, advent of phones and technology and all of that, that has got a lot easier. But these Dumbos, they don't really, they can't really spit. Like, Alina's got some basic, basic, and it's not, doesn't seem good. But yeah, they, they're not communicating. So they do come off as those brash Americans, right? And some other actions, right, kind of step into that stereotype. And it is a stereotype that is mentioned in the film, right? Um, so there is that. Now, one thing that I, you know, I'm watching this and I'm a bit like, hmm. It, it's some things that Kevin does. And it does make you, well, there's a couple of things. There's a thing with Kevin and a thing with Aaron. So let's get with the Kevin thing. It, it, it's one of those things that you kind of feel, right? If If these are friends you'd know that's his thing, right? And that would be one of those things. And you'd have always have that to have to have that talk. Be like, yo, we're going to this place. Don't do your shit, man. Because it keeps on getting us in trouble. And we we need to be here. So you can't be doing your shit. Right? Because it it it, it did make me wonder because it's just like if they'd spent all this time together in uh, California, right? You'd think you'd, he'd have been doing that stuff. Now, it's not like, it's one of those things that doesn't suddenly just 
happen right and and if you know he does it he, he's not going to be like oh, I'm, I'm holding it back i'm holding it and then all of a sudden he's there and he'd be like i'm doing it all the time now right so that was a little bit odd that was a little bit odd and aaron he just seemed to you know really fly off the handle a lot which again did seem a little out of character for what we'd been led to believe, right? About all of this. But that, I mean, they're, they're just two kind of little niggles, right? Now, the the film, like at the beginning, you're like, okay, this is fine, actually. This is fine. I can watch this. But as you, the, you know, the, the stories start to unravel, it starts to get creepier and creepier right which is just like okay okay so you feel like and especially it's the way it's being shot you're feeling real uncomfortable but as it goes on more and more shit starts to happen which really does amp up the the heebie-jeebies of this motherfucking film, right? I, I will say, I did think they did all of that really well. Did it really well. Because you can see that this is, you know, it, it's not a high-budget film. But they made you feel uncomfortable and disturbed. And it, it was all from just a few little things, a few little effects. Yeah, and that boy, yeah, that that takes skill. That does take skill, you know, to be able to do that. It's at the end, jeez, jeez. Yeah, this got fucked up real fucking. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was just like, oh, fuck. I don't know if I'd go to Quebec, man. Or I don't know if I'd go to rural Quebec. That's one thing for sure. Feel me? It, because you're just like, yo, if you'd heard about this thing, right? So, you know, as, as mentioned in the synopsis, it's about a little girl that got... um murdered right murdered by her parents it's a real gruesome story which does seem to be actually true this was this was a real girl it's a real thing that happened right so yeah i mean there's one thing that is said in the film right we don't like people that mock events real events that have happened here and you and they're like no we're not doing that you're like eh. I don't know. You're making a film, and you, you're trying to change some of the the way this happens. So it's a bit like, yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a lot. Of, it, it's all about the small little touches because we, you know, being shot with the video camera, you know, they're always filming. And 
So the film is a little bit jumpy. You know, the sound quality goes in and out in places. So it does that in itself helps kind of bring the tension and the ooh, you know the chills in places, right? Which is smart, right? That's smart. So then the events that are happening and Yo, it, it, sometimes it's just like, yo, I think we just saw, and you'd be like, wait, 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 what, 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 what? And you're kind of like, oh, do I want to look close to see if something's there, or am I just going to take their word for it? I don't know. Do I want to know? And so, yeah, you do. It, it makes you feel mad and comfortable. really does. And, I, 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 yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I ain't going to those houses. What's wrong with these people? <laughs> What's wrong with these people? Right? And, and, you know, everything that went down last year, right? and everyone's talking about white privilege, I think this is the, the, <laughs> the biggest <laughs> example because I ain't playing with my life. <laughs> Uh, uh, it's only only a crazy white person gonna be like, "Hey, let me look into this really creepy, awful thing that happened. Let me call on spirit." Like, Yo, what are you doing? Real life is fucked up enough. We don't need to be doing that shit, son. And uh, yeah, so hey, I will say. On a um, like you know, on a on a on a small budget, they have really done something here. They have really put together a a, a feature that is creepy. It is creepy, and it, it it's a little different. It's a little different from. Um, some of the other kind of, you know, found footage films that you've seen. I, but it's enjoyable. Like um, Superhost, right? Superhost is essentially another kind of, uh, I mean, I don't know. Would we call Superhost super found footage? It's kind of is, right? And that was a different approach to that genre. So I, I mean, it's really uplifting to see people try different things and, and do these different approaches to these crazy-ass, uh, yeah, events <laughs> and shit people, people be doing. You know, so, um, hey, I, 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 I did like it. I didn't like it. I, I trust me, I ain't ever watching it again. <laughs> I ain't ever watching it again or doing anything as insanely stupid as these people. But I feel as a people that are a fan of this stuff, I mean, I think you will enjoy Curse of Aurora. And I will say, like as mentioned, if you enjoyed Shudder's Superhost, which we talked about a couple of weeks back, you know what I mean? I think you will like this. I obviously, you know, people will kind of 
talk about Blair Witch Project and all of that. But um, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel that this is good, man. It, 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 it doesn't disappoint, right? It doesn't make you go, ugh, that's just rubbish. I don't believe it. Like, as the, you know, the special effects, especially this, the, the shit that happens later in the film, ooh, super sketch, but yeah, it looked good. Looked good. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they did it, but it looked really good. It really did. So I thought that was good. I thought that was decent. You know, they made me... <laughs> it made me glad I watched this shit during the day. <laughs> so yeah, if you're a fan, right, you like that stuff, the cleansing hour, um, another shudder. I mean, I say shudder, the shudder stuff a lot because that is, that is kind of, you know, where you're going to find a lot of this good horror stuff if you like that kind of thing. So yeah, if, you know, you do find this stuff enjoyable, right, um, Curse of Aurora, people, I think this will definitely be for you. I think you're going to uh, get a kick out of it. Um, so go check it out. It is available from um, the 24th, Friday the 24th of September. So people, um, yeah, I, I do believe it's Friday, not Thursday. It may be the 23rd, but it's out It's out this week. And, hey, in the information of the episode, the, the actual proper date will be there, people, trust me. But, yeah, I think it's Friday the 24th, or it might be Thursday the 23rd. But, anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean? Check the information, and we should be speaking with some of the people involved. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. But people, Curse of Aurora, go get your creepy horror. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, people. So, that was the review. Now you get to hear from the director, Meron C. Torgley, and the writer co-writer and one of the stars liana baron <laughs> people this is a a great conversation you know what i mean they were mad kind gave me their time so people hey enjoy it okay people so um yeah it's really exciting to because today I'm speaking with um, the director, writer, writers of Curse of uh, Aurora. Is it Curse of Aurora? Just Aurora. Aurora. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a French, French name for sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this film. It, it was there's a super interesting, and uh, I, I think especially the way in which you uh, 
I think, approach this kind of found footage concept. Mm. It, it felt a little kind of fresh. You know, I, I enjoyed the introduction. Although I was thinking with uh, Casey when he's talking, he's like, oh, yeah, like with some of this stuff, I think I should probably hand this over to the police. And it was like, yeah. Yeah, of course yeah. you should. This is clearly going to get your ass in trouble. <laughs> yeah. She needs yeah. to put in the footage out there. Right. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was interesting. Like, how did you, like, how did this story kind of come about? Because, you know, there were certain things that I thought, oh, this is just a story. But then when you look a little deeper... Oh no, some of this stuff actually, like, there was a case of a girl getting killed, right? So, it's all very meta. It goes back and forth. I mean, you know, Lana can speak to specifically why we attach to the story of Aurora, but the, the meta aspect was something that we worked on the fact that we sort of wrote our own personalities into the film. We wrote this real life YouTube star into the film, and the situations are mined from our real lives. Mm. But so in terms of the connection to the real story, Lana, you can talk about that. Yeah. Um, so very much like my character, uh, my, the the house that we stay at um, in the film is uh, does belong to relatives of mine. Um, and I've been going there. Uh, so my mom's side of the family is French Canadian. She she grew up there, and then she moved to the states in her in her uh, late teens. But I've been going up there for years. Um, it's a place we do family reunions, um, and and it's it is about a hundred years old, and it is a cottage just like that with the crazy closets and all of that. It's a very real place. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, Mayron and I we've been doing films together for quite some time, and I've been saying for years we need to shoot something at that house in that town it's a very special place and i horror is my is like that's that's my jam and so i i wanted to write something um that could take place there and could kind of encapsulate sort of the isolation of the big flat farms everywhere and then obviously like the cold uh, and iciness of of winter um and so it happened to be that on one of the trips that i was visiting uh, I learned about the story of Aurore, Aurore Gagnon, who was a little girl um, who lived in the town next to where my family's cottage is. And she was horribly abused by her mother and father, Marianne Hood and Telesphore Gagnon. And um, she eventually died uh, succumbing to multiple wounds. Um, that they had inflicted and sort of left her in a room to starve and and she, you know, just infections and everything else. And she died. Mm. Um, and it was just very sad. And it was like a neighbor who came over and like hadn't seen the girl in a while and was like, let me go upstairs and see how she's doing. And they were like, no, don't go up there. And then she went up there and saw the dead child. And so um, it ended up becoming, at the time it was, I think, 1920 when she died. Um, it was kind of the first sort of public awareness uh, story um, about violence uh, and abuse and what that can do. You know, sort of like the people, they were like a lot of really big Catholic farm families and they would have just tons and tons of kids. And the, the reason they had kids was to have them work on the farm. I think in yeah. a lot of cases, these very poor families out in the country 
were not necessarily raising kids to keep them warm and happy. It was more about what they could provide to the family. And so this story kind of started spreading that awareness that like, oh yeah, if you you know, beat the shit out of your kids um, and don't take care of them, they might die and you're a terrible person, you know? Um, so it, it was written into plays um, and, and books. And, and then later uh, in the nineties, I think or early 2000s, it was made as a beautiful film that was shot in Montreal. Um, all about the story of Aurora as a child. It's very sad to watch. You can watch, you can find it on in, in multiple parts on YouTube. Um, but anyway, when I found out that this had happened next to where my family's house was, I, I went to the church where Aurora went. I went to that grave and I saw all the toys and the offerings, which is like, it's like John Lennon's grave. Like in the, you know, like people are still bringing things to her because she is considered a martyr um, mm. by the locals. And so it's, she's, she's just a very important part of the local history um, and, and what she sort of represents. And so, yeah, we, I, I told Maron we should probably do something that incorporates this terrible tragedy, maybe some kind of a haunting that has to do with this. Maron wasn't super interested in covering a story about Aurora. He didn't just want to tell that story again. Um, and he was the one that sort of, we were looking for a story, we were struggling to find it. And he was kind of had the great idea of like, why don't we write a script about us trying to write a script about Aurora <laughs> and, and make it found footage and, and sort of, you know, shoot a lot of what we've experienced. I, I brought in a lot of my personal experience from going up there over the years, like the laying in the street um, in the middle of the night is something I've done with my friends. Not in the winter um, time though. What? Not in the winter. No, we had done it in the summer. It's a, it's a lot less cold. And uh, it's still kind of crazy. Still, still crazy, crazy, but there's too. just like, it's so rare that a car will pass at that late hour. And the thing is, it's so flat and so vast that you could see or hear the lights, you know, of a car, you could hear the car coming from so far away that you have plenty mm -hmm. of time to get, not that I recommend people do that. <laughs> anyway, so that's a very long way of telling you how we got, how we got to that. <laughs> um, so like the, the thing about that, does that to me, that that's all really interesting, but, I, I kind of feel like it, it, I'd, I'd be worried that now, every time I go back, I'm just thinking this. You know what I mean? Like, did you think that it might just taint your, um, you know, your space? So every time you're there, you're now thinking about, and like, oh, have I called on this ghost? Is, is this really going to be like, you know what I mean? Just inhabiting yeah. this now. I mean, I, I don't think so. We. Mayron and I and our, our, our real life Kevin, whose name is Kevin, is a producer that we've been working with for a long time. It was about a year ago that we, sorry, two years ago exactly, that we were up there on our location scouting trip before we shot. And um, we went to Aurora's grave. And of course we, we got permission from the, the there's a ch her church there and these like lovely women who sort of run the, the church activities. And we worked with them pretty extensively, got their permission, and you know they gave us their essentially blessing to to shoot there. And so we were trying to be very respectful because this is real. This that's a real grave, and she was a real mm -hmm. child. And you know we didn't want to just 
come in there like, hey, Hollywood, we don't care. Like, we're going to exploit this. That was never our our intention. And so when we went and visited Aurora's grave, we actually spoke with her. We I, I knelt down and I, I told her what we were doing. And I, I, I said, thank you for letting us share your story. Um, is more accurate than spoke with her. Well, okay. She didn't well, answer. Depends on how you're, how you, how you, you are, how spiritual you are, I suppose. Right. But we, we, I don't feel uh, any. I don't feel personally haunted by Aurora, and and I think that part of what we wanted to do in the film is it, it's not really Aurora, right? She's not mm. really the the bad ghost right that there's something else there's other bad spirits at play and that she may or may not even be warning us throughout the film you know that's something to, to I mean, kind of look for like the curse of aurora is like it's almost like the curse that aurora had to bear as opposed exactly to aurora as opposed to the curse that she brings right she doesn't yeah. bring a curse she bore a curse from a terrible you know abusive uh, family life. I think more than anything though, I'm a little bit nervous about staying back in that house because I think we may have pissed off my family's ghosts uh, <laughs> more than once being in that house. I don't think, I mean, that. If there's a scene where I'm, I am holding my great grandmother's hair and that is her real hair that my family oh, has God. had. Um, those are the real candles they burned at her wake. And so the house is filled with very real uh, items um, that may or may not be haunted, and and I don't know how much that house wants me back now, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Oh man, this it, it's one of those things that I don't know. Like I I think about and I think maybe right because if we this world is so big that. <laughs> you kind of think there's there's probably other things inhabiting other planes and all of this but sure. you haven't seen it and right. that's that's kind of cool with me because i'm just yeah. a bit like i don't yeah. need right. that extra stress yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you wonder, yeah. like maybe i don't think so but maybe and i'm not gonna dig Yes. Days. Yeah. Because I don't want to find. I don't need the yeah. confirmation of a yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I, how, I, how do you shut that door? Very much like my character, I do want to confirm. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I want evidence. <laughs> I want them to talk to me and prove to me that they're there. Uh, but I don't want to disrespect either. I don't think that, you know, the character certainly there are elements of ourselves written into the characters for sure, but they're extreme extreme versions of our of our characters mm -hmm. and you know i it's as alive. yeah as someone who was born and raised in the us um and i lost my mom tried to teach us french growing up but i didn't really focus and i lost a lot of what i had and so every time i've gone back in my life i've always felt like i am sort of like not maybe not considered one of them like because i'm i'm like an americanized mm -hmm generation and so I have felt at times like going to the local stores and like people looking at me funny like who is this tall blonde who speaks English only like there, there are like little people out there they're all kind of small yeah. and have dark hair and so I definitely stand out and I but I've always tried like to not stand out like don't like I don't want to be disrespectful I don't just want to be an idiot American coming in and being disrespectful but the characters were we, we definitely made them yeah <laughs> yeah. Oh, 
Gosh, Pavi. Gesundheit. Um, <laughs> thank you. But I, I think that all comes across really well. I, I, there's certain things that when watching it, I mean, like, oh, you really captured that, right? And and that kind of, you know, obviously, it's not all Americans, but there is that right. um, stereotype of brash Americans right. just, you know, stamping into something and being like, hey, we're doing it our way because we're the best. Right, and right. You know, the reactions of the people in the shops and everyone else. And you really kind of, I feel you nailed that. But you did it, but it felt, um, it felt natural. It felt real rather than this over the top situation. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was the, that was, there was a very subtle hand at play throughout the film with a lot of these instances. Mm. That was very, how did you kind of, ensure you had that was it a conscious thing that you're creating this you know this kind of as you said this meta kind of reality but you you want it to ring true so were you like real critical about the situations that you're creating for for me it was a combination of uh you know what lana had told me about her experiences up in that area um, as well as we, after we had written the whole script, we did the scouting trip, like she said, and we actually wrote in some extra circumstances that we experienced. But, but I also wrote in, in, in you know, from the things that Lana and I wrote this very much together. Um, but I, I was a foreign or a foreign exchange student in Italy years ago, and there is a certain perspective of being someone living somewhere else, experienced somewhere else where you go through this period where you are, I mean, especially being the brash American, you're told about it, but there's just little things that you notice. So there are certain mm-hmm. points in the film that I think add a lot of, of truth to that experience, which is just looking at the strange candy bars, looking at the treats that are there that are kind of like something you're familiar with, but are mm-hmm. distinctly different from what, from what you've grown up with. So going through the store, seeing those items, having, you know, bumping into somebody, having them yell at you in a store, um, just the, and then, then seeing the reactions of our three heroes walking through these things and how they're experiencing something that is just adjacent to their real world. And I, I do think that comes across well, and it was intentional, definitely from my side, to show things that are just completely random that don't necessarily have to do with the story, but they build the world. Yeah, I mean, even the, the stirring the eggs, like something is just mundane as that, simple as that, yeah. It really works and helps create this kind of um, this feeling amongst these group of friends. That's really great. That's actually totally based on reality. That's something like I make a quiche and it's very specific. It's got to be a certain way and it drives. He's very out. obnoxious about it in real life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know, even in your film, you have to tell everyone this is the right way to make a quiche. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we I think that one of the things that Mehran did so brilliantly was he really made it, you know, this sort of like voyeuristic, um, almost like vacation video, right? It's like it's like you're you're on the journey with these characters and those little moments that you're talking about. We wanted a lot of that. And then we wanted this like 
that's all happening. This is just their life. Like they're waking up and they're making eggs and they're filming it because they're having fun and they're filmmakers. And, you know, and then they're joking about Lena being hungover, you know, but then like there's this other stuff that's kind of going on around them. And that's mm. the stuff that if you pay attention and you see these things, a lot of our, of our biggest fans have watched it many times in a row. They like to go back and see all the things they missed the first time. But the first time around, you're just hanging out with us. Right. And we've had people that are like, dude, I just like, I wish I could just like smoke a joint with you. Like I, that we'd have so much fun, you know, like it just, <laughs> and I think Maron executed that extremely well. It really does feel like someone's just got the camera on and gets this minute and they turned it off to go do whatever. And now they've turned it back on again and they're capturing the next minute and we're taking you on that journey with us. And so. Mm -hmm. mm. It definitely. I, I think I'm sorry. But, oh, no, 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 you go. Well, I was going to say, there's a thing that Hitchcock says, which is about something to the, to the effect of to, to create suspense in a scene, put a bomb under the table, have two characters talking about something at the restaurant and the bomb's on the table, but let the audience know the bomb's under the table. And so the tension builds because the audience isn't on something that your characters are not. Mm -hmm. And then you just mm. simmer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. And I, I just thought that we have these things in the film, right? That really, I, th I thought, sell it and help add to the the consequence of everything. Mm. You know, it, it, and like I watch so many films where you you look at these relationships and you don't buy it, right? Mm. You don't buy these people are friends. You don't buy these these people are in love. And I think that can really bring you out of a film. That can really take away something and, and take it from being something really great to being, eh, okay. But mm -hmm. with this, I really felt that these people were friends, right? The the smoking weed moment, I was like, oh, is, how are they going to do? And it actually, you were like, yeah, no, I believe that, right? It wasn't that stupid, you know, take one to, hey, guys, I'm really hungry now. Let's go. Right. And it's just like, ugh. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And obviously, it, it, like, it's going to be different for everyone. But mm -hmm. it's not just that, yeah, one toke and now we want the munches. Right. And I, I, it was a believable moment. And that was the big thing about this. Like, everything that happened... They were believable moments, which then made the creepiness even worse because you're just like, oh, fuck, that could happen. And, yeah, then, and then I'm just looking out the corner of my eyes like, yo, did something just move? Like, oh, what's happening? What's and I'm just like, God damn you people. What have you done to me? Bravo. I'm, I'm glad you That's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, the, the fact that these feel like real friends. And very much when I watch it, and now now uh, Lex Wilson and Jordan Kaplan are friends of ours, like they really are, but we had only spoken to them virtually. And then what, Lana, we met them maybe two days before we started shooting? We, like, we yeah, they arrived like two nights before we started shooting. We had one day of rehearsals mm -hmm. and then we just went. And um, by the end of it, I fully believed that that was my Kevin and my Mehran. Totally. Uh, I mean, we just they they also I think the casting we just got really lucky um we did we did uh online um submissions tape submissions we got auditions from all over the country and some outside of the country as well and 
we ended up, you know, with, with Jordan and Alex and, or Lex. Um, and I don't know, like we just, we hit it off. Like we, we did yeah. have fun together and it was really great, like right from the get go. And so, but it also, it just helps that they were like totally motivated to, to do this crazy thing. I mean, we were asking mm. for people to fly to, you know, another country to shoot in a, you know, or very remote farm area where no one would speak English and, you know, do be out there for a couple weeks. And, you know, there's going to be work outside and running through snow and it wasn't always going to be fun. And we got really lucky that these two guys were down, down for the whole thing. And yeah, it was so fun. It was so, it was really great. It's like I lived another life during those four weeks or something. Yeah, it was, we called it like the horror camp commune because like, you know, we're making horror but, and we were like living together. We had two different houses that we were living in and it was like a commune, you know? Um, so it's really fun. Yeah, that sounds really inviting. <laughs> the yeah, horror camp commune, come on down. <laughs> come on down and get some ghosts. <laughs> hey, so how, how was the casting process? right like how much time do you give to talking with these people to try and see if there is a chemistry if there is that possibility of being able to you know create this seamless moments well like like lana said we we used a we used a digital casting where people were submitting audition tapes and we gave them what are called script sides which was basically a scene and lana and i chose scenes that would that would really show the relationship between these people as much as possible, even though it would be just them in the audition tapes. And I don't mm -hmm. remember exactly how many we watched, but I know that we had somebody else in mind for Kevin, like pretty close to the end. And then we, and then Jordan Kaplan's, you know, headshot audition popped up like 11th hour. And we're like, wow, this guy's literally perfect. Like mm -hmm. we can't, we, I'm sorry to the other people, but we can't cast anybody else. Um, but we didn't do any like screen tests where we put us yeah. together um, because we all lived in different places. I was in Raleigh. Well, actually, Lex, we could have because he's also in the, the Raleigh-Durham area. Um, and then Jordan's out in California. May runs in California. So it wasn't until we were on set that we started actually acting together. So we just, I think we just had to, the auditions had to be really good for us to know, okay, like this guy is right. Like he did the audition so perfectly that he doesn't need direction. You know, of course everybody needs direction, but if the audition is so good that Mehran's like, I don't have, I wouldn't have notes for him on that performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that was how it was. I mean, definitely with Jordan and even, even with Lex, like, and yeah. those were the two most important people to cast aside from the fact that we already had Arlena, right? Who was obviously the, the most important person. <laughs> You know, to cast them. Yeah, the person that bullies them into doing this craziness. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because you wonder about that when you watch certain things. Like, how do you form that chemistry? You know what I mean? Like, how 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 long does it take to create those connections? So when you hear the, boy, you had no time to really do it, mm -hmm. it, it really then just really ups the, the fact that you were able to do it, mm. you know? Yeah, I mean, when I think every project that I do, I've done things much larger than this, 
Um, I've done things much smaller than this. And every time I finish one of them, when I look back a few months later, I'm like, yeah, I don't know how I could do that if I had to do that again today. <laughs> so much, so many things fall into place. So many things happen. I, you know, again, like Lana said, we, we really did get lucky with casting. I mean, they, those two guys were so important to make sure this thing felt right. And they threw themselves into it. But we also got lucky with finding locations. The, the, the house, Monsieur Gagnon's house, I, th I think we had a completely different location picked out for that. And then we ended up getting, and that one fell through like two days before we had to shoot that scene. It's a very, very limited time frame. Like I think it was 12 or 14 total shoot days and we had to slot things into certain days. So we end up getting an even better house that we shot Monsieur Gagnon's place. And it ended up being like, I want to say it's like the mayor's brother's house or something. Mm -hmm. um, who let it, you know, was nice enough to let us use that place. But it just fell into place when it had to. Now we all there's a lot of things we do um, that we that we compromise. I mean that that expression that when you 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 make decisions up until you start making the movie. Once you make the movie, all you do is make compromises. <laughs> that's what it is, yeah. and totally true. But we got so lucky, and that I shot so much stuff as I envisioned it. Um, yeah. and I'm sure Lana would agree. Like so much of it really fell into place. Yeah, a lot of people ask us how much of the film was ad-libbed because they, you know, the conversation between the three of us is, you know, feels pretty, pretty genuine, I think, for the most part. Um, yeah. And I think most people are surprised to learn that it was it's like 98% scripted. I mean, we stayed on script. Um, you know, there's a little bit of like riffing that we do, you know, between lines, you know, or, or you know, like I think... Uh, Kevin walking into the room and and loving the lamp and being like groovy boo and like you know yeah. they're like little cute you know fun things playful things th those got thrown in but everything else is is pretty much exactly the way the script was and so I'm very happy that we stuck we stuck to it for the most part and that most people feel like it's ad-libbed I think that's that's really fun well, we definitely let them put a lot of things into their own words to let the actors have the freedom they're like well this is how I would say that thing and so like Go ahead, feel it, live in it. That was that was basically my mantra, is live in this scene. Because we shot each scene like a play. Like they are continuous tapes, like from camera cut to camera cut, you're watching a real moment. Mm -hmm. And so we had to rehearse where the camera's gonna go, where are we gonna point it, where are we gonna leave the camera? How are we gonna leave the camera so that it creates an off angle so that it feels like it was casually left there? And mm -hmm. uh, it was very much a dance, you know, that, that we all had to we all had to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. So how many how many takes like for the scenes and like how long was the shoot in total? 13, 14 days, something like that, with a couple of days break in between. So I guess like 16 days. But um how many takes? I think the most takes we did of any one thing was probably 18. The that one really long scene, I think was the uh, 22 takes. I think we have 22 or 23 takes. Are you talking about the scene with the tarot cards or the scene? Going with... into the into uh, Blanche and Benoit's house, yeah. So that was what we did the most. And then it ended up being, yeah, you know, we were able to use things like, you know, quick whip pans and things to right. performance. But that was also it was a very long scene and all shot in one take. I mean, shot in 18 takes, but continuous take. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Ah. Okay, and um, when you finished, right? You finished it, everything like that. Was there anything that you were like, oh, I wish I could go back to that scene? Or was it, no, I'm everything is how I envisioned it? You know, 
I would say there's not one particular scene, and, and I'm actually glad that the public reception has been better than I would have expected, but I actually wanted to do far more of playing with the background. I wanted mm -hmm. to switch pictures more. It ended up being just a logistical thing where we didn't want to do so much that people would think these are just mistakes, so it had to be consistent enough. And it mm. feels like based on the reaction that we did do kind of the right amount of background action, but I really wanted to flip pictures upside down, change art a lot, um, move chairs around just so that the audience was always sort of off kilter, but it becomes very difficult when you're doing a consistent take. But there's a few, I mean, I know we shot a couple of moving, like moving rocking chair shots that didn't make it into the movie. There's things like that. But um, overall, I don't really have any regrets. It's just, I would have liked to have done a little bit more of that. Okay. I mean, it, it did seem to work because it, it, like, it was that whole point of they didn't realize until they kind of looked back. And I, I think having a lot more, you then kind of think, how did you not see that? And that's mm -hmm. a very good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's always like, are they idiots? You know, and I mean, with, with found footage, there's always going to be a sense of that because found footage only works if somebody's always holding the camera. And so mm -hmm. there's always going to be a point in a found footage horror movie where somebody is choosing to be an idiot because they're choosing not to put the camera down and save themselves or their friends. Instead, they're continuing to shoot. And so that's a tough one to kind of get around. Like you kind of have to have them at some point decide, okay, I'm just going to keep filming, <laughs> even though it's a bad idea. Right. Um, yeah. But it, but it worked though. Like with the mo with, um, you know, let's say getting um, Kevin out the road. Right, yeah. it's the putting the camera down, yeah. and you create that then angle, which then oh, yeah. really helps sell that scene too. So the moment yeah. where someone's not holding the camera, the mm -hmm. angle in which you create by placing the camera helps to really heighten that scene even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. So I thought yeah. this it, it makes more sense. Right, because as you said, sometimes you watch these films and you'd be like, but why are you still holding the camera? Or right. how is that filming if, but this, it seemed, there seemed more logic in the process. Good. Which then made it even creepier because you're like, ah, shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You watch something else, you'd be like, ah, that, that's fooey, man. That's, that's some silliness. But when you want something, you'd be like, ah, shit, that could happen. It, it makes it like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. I don't want to be in my house on my own now. <laughs> yeah, a lot of thought went into those shots that Mehran set up. And I think that they do help. It's like you're looking in a window and seeing these people do what they're doing, you know, when 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 you just put the camera down. And we're clearly not, you know, we're it's almost as if we don't even know the camera's running. I think in most cases the idea is that we don't, that he put it down and just didn't turn it off because for forgot or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um or it's a like, car's coming to smash into them, so I got to throw this down quickly. I don't have time. Right, and I'm not going to even think about turning it off. Right. Mm. I think that I, the the only thing I would I it's not a really a regret, um, and I don't want to give any spoilers away. But at the very very final scene in the barn, um, I just wish maybe that we had been able to get some of those shots a little slower, so that you can really understand what has happened. And I, again, I don't want to give away, yeah, but I think yeah, that yeah. There's, there's a little bit of confusion as to kind of 
who's in the room and who's doing what. And I think if you could see them a little better, it might kind of make a little more sense what this ritual is and what is being done. I think you're exactly right. I also would like to have milked a little bit more out of what was happening there in general. And if we had a little bit more time, it was a very difficult scene to shoot. Yeah. Um, but like there, there's, again, I don't want to spoil it, but there are set pieces that are there that you literally just see in snippets, like just quick whips. Mm. We lost, lost Lana. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I would agree with her on that for sure. Would be nice if we had more to that. Although I will say that not seeing too much does make it even worse. Yeah, I agree with that as well. You create it in your head, which makes it even yeah better or worse, depending on which way you're looking at it. Oh, Sorry about that. I'm, I'm my husband and I are celebrating our anniversary, so I'm actually at a hotel and ah, housekeeping oh was just talking oh, at the door. <laughs> well. Happy anniversary, and thank you. thank you for doing this. I oh, really appreciate that. Of course. <laughs> we love our they friends know. across the pond. Absolutely. Yes, we, do. we hope to have many more. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the anniversary? 13 years. Oh, damn. Yeah. That, that, well, that's kind of perfect, right? Is, <laughs> it, is this, you, it's the horror film, 13, boom. Yeah. It all fits together nice. It does. It does. <laughs> Well, congratulations on that. Thank That's you. Great. Thank you. Uh, right. So one thing that I, I, you know, you do wonder about, and I, I think I said, you know, you, your film, and I honestly, you're, I, I'm not just saying this because you're in front of me, right? <laughs> I, I've already recorded the review. So you're in, like, everything I say in that is, you know, everything's legit, but a lot of these found footage films, they do feel a little hokey, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. this one didn't, right? So what do you, do you watch other like stuff and be like, okay, so that doesn't work or, oh, I like the way they did this or that's an interesting, you know, situation to kind of create. We could manifest something a bit like, like what, what do you do or do you just be like, I'm not watching anything else. I'm just gonna do, what would I enjoy? Like, what am I looking for in this and do it that way? From my perspective, it's that I think that most found footage films are pretty hokey and I don't really like them except for the very good ones. Mm. And I didn't watch any for reference when we were writing or when I was directing this. Um, Lana watches way more horror films than I do. I love horror films also, but I'm really much more into like John Carpenter and Alfred Hitchcock. Like I like the older stuff. I'm not that into a lot of the newer stuff. Aside from the stuff of Ari Aster, like Hereditary and Midsummer, which is you know just stunning. I mean, stellar, stellar movies. Um, but yeah, yeah, I like the first Conjuring also for that matter. But uh, yeah, I, I like more traditional cinematic horror films. So I was. So is it yeah. kind of more? the psychological stuff is I will say that there's the, the, you know, horror is a weird one for me because it's just like, some of it is a bit too like creepy. Yeah, um, I get that. But then like, I don't necessarily like the, the torture porn kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, 
because it's just like I don't see the scare. It, mm -hmm. It's just how can we make something more gruesome? And yeah. that's not like obviously that's people enjoy that. So I'm not yeah. knocking it. It just doesn't yeah. work so much for me. So I like the yeah, the psychological kind of that kind of fear of not seeing something and envisioning envisioning it, which mm -hmm. becomes really it's like when you watch the um it is it it no not it the thing the thing and you don't really see the monster until the very end and so it's just like oh my god yeah that's yeah. one of Maron's favorites ah, yeah nice incredible yeah no yeah, it's 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 built up. I, I think the thing yeah. the perspective i take is that if i don't really care about the characters then it like whether it's a slasher torture porn psychological whatever if i don't really care about the characters then the things that happen i don't care that much about Yes. And so that ultimately, that's what it comes down to for me. So, like, if you take a movie like Transformers by Michael Bay, visually, unbelievably impressive. Like, if I was five years old looking at that, I would just be in in awe. But I watch them, and the nothing matters because I don't feel like the characters matter in a film like that. Even though they're such a spectacular production, it's just there's something missing there for me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, with with that, because the thing with Transformers that always gets me, right? You've got these huge robots that have got firepower for days, and a little kid's like, oh, I wouldn't do that. He's like, you know what, kid? You're right. We're not going to take over the Earth. And you'd be like, shut up. You know what I mean? Like, you'd just be like, you would stomp on the kid and then take over the goddamn Earth. I mean, it's just that. It's that irritates me i don't buy that this big machine is listening to a stupid child i mean adults don't necessarily listen to kids so why right. is a robot going to <laughs> right right i mean and i think that those transformers movies are just like prime examples of like no de character development very little story and plot development and just a lot of action and special effects and mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that was very important to us with found footage, you know, especially as we really wanted to make sure everything really looked and what as, as real as possible. So most of the effects are practical. Um, and, you know, I think that really adds to it. We're, we're also both in more into psychological thriller type stuff. Um, I, you know, I think slashers are fun, you know, but there's not a lot of work for the audience to do. And I think both Maron and I are like of the opinion that like, you know, let's give, when we're writing, like let's give the audience work to do. Let's let them think, let's let them find things. And yeah. they, get, they get to be the smart ones watching. Cause they're like, oh, I know more than the characters know. And now I'm scared for mm. them because they don't know. And um, it's more yeah. of a viewing experience as opposed to passive, right? The yeah. audience is figuring things out. They're, they're putting things together. I didn't watch any found footage right up. Like, I mean, I've, in the past I've seen found footage, but as we were writing and preparing, um, I didn't watch any on purpose. I didn't want to accidentally copy or, or even find out that maybe something we had written was a copy because I just didn't even yeah. want to know. Um, I wanted it to just be our own thing and not really use any other found footage as, I mean, certainly there have been people who have said it's kind of like a Canadian Blair Witch and that's cool. I mean, I, yeah. I saw Blair Witch when it first came out and I was, young i was in middle school and it scared the pants off of me you know um and so but but what i what the story that we were writing i mean yeah i was thinking about that but that's a distant memory i didn't remember 
a whole lot. And after we filmed and we finished editing, I did start watching some found footage again, just to kind of see. And I was like, wow, there are a lot of similarities here, but I am glad I didn't watch it. Cause I don't, I didn't want that to affect the, the our product. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally, if this is like, if I'm trying to write jokes for stand up, like I don't want to watch any specials. Right, mm -hmm. even though some of your favorite comedians have just released a new special, it's just like, oh, and I want to watch this because I don't want to take any, like, um, you know, any jokes, any, right. like, you don't want to absorb it and, accidentally, and then, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's always that kind of fear that you're you're doing that. It's like when you, you know, it's when you're speaking with people. You don't, I like for me, I don't really want to, you know, go, oh, who else has interviewed them? Right. Because I'm just like, well, I don't want to be influenced by that. I just want to be able to ask my own questions and do it in the way I'm doing it rather mm -hmm. than be like, oh, well, they did this. So maybe I do that. Or, or mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So it's, I definitely understand that kind of like, yeah, let me be in a little eco chamber and, isolate myself so I'm not like being like oh yeah this is this but I will say I feel that your film does like I think it stands on its own I don't feel that it was like the Blair Witch mm -hmm. or anything else I'd be like for yeah it definitely felt like its own own thing that's great, great. that's awesome mm -hmm. I'd love so, to hear <laughs> no worries man like I'm always interested when you have co-writers or co-anything, how do you do that? How does that work? Because there's so, like, man, you ask that quote, you hear so many different ways, so many interpretations of this thing. Like, I know, um, have you ever read The Expanse books? I have not. Mm -mm. No. Right, like, the books are, re I really like the books. The TV show is okay, but it's not... It, I feel it's not anywhere as good as the books, but right, the the two guys that write it, they, they I think their approach was one of them writes a, a chapter, then they send it to the other, who then oh, wow. makes some edits, then the other one writes a chapter, and that's how they started off. And now go like it's boy, I feel there's like eight books kind mm -hmm. of thing and as the books went on they kind of resonated with certain characters more so then mm -hmm. they would just write that character and do mm -hmm. it kind of like that which I thought was interesting mm -hmm. but how did you guys how did you go about you know co-writing this piece let's start Lana or yeah I mean well we've been writing together for a long time um so we've done a short we did that we wrote together uh, and then we have actually, we have a comedy mockumentary. It's a, it's a, it is a bigger budget production that's supposed to be coming out, I think within, within the next year um, that we wrote together. And then we ended up kind of becoming consumed by a larger production company. And then they ended up becoming co-writers with us too. So then it was even a bigger writer's room um, and actually getting to come back uh, for Curse of Aurora where it's just Mayron and I writing was actually really refreshing having had a lot more input, you know, on the other project. And then we kind of, yeah. I actually think it was good for us because when we, you know, coming yeah. off of that, suddenly we were writing even better together. It was like, we were appreciative that it was just us. Mm -hmm. um, Less and 
So because we've been doing it for a while, I think we have like a nice like rhythm. Um, and with with Curse of Aurora, once once Mayron had that idea of like let's make it basically about us trying to trying to write this, um, we sort of both started writing like different scenes that we had in mind. So they weren't even really in order. Um, mm. It was like you know I was like well I want to write in this laying in the street thing, and I think I like like I want to make that into something dangerous and have that be like a horror kind of like a scary moment. So I took that scene and then he was like, you know, I, I'm going to write, you know, this scene where they, where they go into the store or whatever. And so we, we both, we kind of like wrote those moments and then we came together and then we kind of started to string them all together um, with the, the, the greater story, you know. Uh, we knew where we wanted the characters to end up and we wrote to that uh, yeah. with, with the stories. Like we, like you said, we took a few stories and then she overwrote on top of stuff that I had written, I wrote over stuff that she had written, but effectively, you know, the process was, let's outline this, let's know who our characters are, which we did, let's know where they're gonna end up, and then let's know some complications along the way, let's sort of write, if it's as little as a sentence for a scene. And then when we had all that, we're like, this feels pretty good, and we went in and we just expanded each one of those scenes, of those, mm -hmm. those notes into a full scene, and then it happened. And this was probably the quickest script oh, yeah. I've ever written because once again, once Maron like identified like let's basically make this about us, suddenly it became really easy to write because we know yeah. we've had between Maron and myself and, and the real Kevin, we've had conversations like this. You know, I have cried and said, you know, I'm I, I'm you know an unappreciated person and you know no one watches our films and you know like a lot of that stuff was just from life it was moments yeah. that we've actually had um and then brought in a lot of those like canadian french canadian experiences that that i had had as well so i think it was this was our easiest script to write our our quickest yeah. script to write and probably had the least amount of arguments between us <laughs> on this one because we just like it was like once we were there in our heads, like we were to get, like we just, it worked. It was, it was very symbiotic writing. And then and the movie itself is, I don't think we actually lost anything that was in the script. I think every single scene that's in the script is in the movie, even though we did rearrange a couple of scenes. Mm -hmm. um, but like typically you'll throw away a few scenes in the edit, you know, when you're all mm. done. And this one we didn't. We did have to do a little bit of quick rewriting or reworking of some things because I oh. did severely injure my knee two days before shooting. And so the the brace and the cane yeah. uh, and the pain that I was in were very real. And we had to basically, we, with everything booked and, you know, we're, we're indie, man. We don't have a lot of money. Yep. It was, it was going to be so impossible to change everything around and um, everybody's plane tickets and everything else that I just said, no, you know, I'm in it to win it. Let's do this. Let's just write it into the character. And so we had to change a few a few things because like Lena was supposed to be the one driving all the time, like the tour guide, and I couldn't drive with my leg really. So we had mm. to change some of that. Um, and maybe and that might be a slight regret too. Not that I had the injury, but uh, foresight. Because if we had known that that the cane and the brace would have been a thing, I think it could have been cool to to actually have that tie in somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but in a way too, I think the fact that it exists without being called out as a problem for Lena is actually refreshing because a lot of times if someone's got an injury, they're useless. 
Well, yeah. in this case, she has the injury, but she's not letting it make her useless. In fact, she's doing everything the guys are doing and putting herself at more danger. And, you know, I think that it may, it does make like the end when, you know, when I'm running through the snow, it's just more stressful on the audience, which I think is a good thing, you know, because they're, they know she can't get very, very fast anywhere, you know? So, um, yeah. But. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it definitely, it was a bit more refreshing than, you know, making this big deal about the thing, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. that's what you, as you said, you usually see, so it was just like, yeah, we get injured. It shit yeah. happens, yeah. right? Right. So right. that that kind of yeah, it, it worked. It, it, or like it, you know, dis there are disabilities. You know, I feel like a lot of times, you know, when there's a prominent disability in something, that's what the movie is about. And yes. I'd like to see more films where you have people with disabilities, and it's not about the disability, right? Mm. And so I actually was glad that it wasn't about oh this this person who is struggling it's not about that at all um that's just who she is in this film and we embrace that and so yeah yeah no that that, that was yeah no it does work but um how did you guys get to as you said look you've been writing together for a while how did it all come together in the first place oh well, Mayron, do you wanna... yeah so yeah uh, we both worked in the video game industry previously, and um, I I was working. I was an artist, uh, an environment artist in in a game company, and Lana was working at the company as like the facilities person. And uh, I I decided there was a there was a competition for a website called Underground Online, and I had written a script for that. It was a short horror film competition, which I ended up being a finalist in, but didn't win. Um, and I asked Lana, because I, I had heard that she was an actress, model, singer, and I, I had seen her at work, for, you know, for, I think we worked together for at least a year, but I never really spoken to her, aside from mm. maybe saying hi and bye. And so I knew, you know, she was somebody at the ready, and when you're, that, that was, I was much more indie back then than I am now. It was just me and a camera and a friend of mine, we're going to make this movie. And I'd written the script, so I approached her, and um, she was totally into the idea, but couldn't do it because her sister was coming to town and I had to shoot that weekend. Um, and so I said, okay, actually ended up casting another friend of mine who was actually to this day, a very good friend of mine. And she's one of the producers on this film. Her name is Minna Brighton, uh, Donatucci. And I cast her and she did a great job, but when it was all done and Lana saw the movie, the shorts, uh, she liked it. And then she wouldn't leave me alone until I made her a, a music video for something. So, <laughs> We then we finally collaborated and and we've been going strong ever since. Yeah, we actually both ended up getting laid off uh, from that video game company at the same day yeah. in the same meeting. And oh, I, was, no. I was like, "Did you know about this?" He's like, "No." Did you? I'm like, "No." And as we were like, you know, with our box of stuff, like walking out in the parking lot, we were like, "This is our sign. We yeah. need to pursue this full time." We've both been given an opportunity and a severance package, so. Let's just let's just go for it, and we have not stopped since. Awesome, yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, you know I mean, you just take what life threw at you, and now you're doing this. <laughs> and neither of us were happy doing that anyway. We both wanted no. to do more, but we didn't have the time because you know we worked full time jobs, and mm. that was that was the career path we were on. Um, but wanted to have the availability to do other stuff, and we've been very lucky that we've been able to continue. No, that, that's, that's great to hear. Um, 
Hey, I, I look. One of the most horrific things for me in your film happens very early on, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I was just like, oh, why are they doing that? And I would say it's eating the poutine. I was just like, what the hell? What the hell? He's like, yes. poutine is not good. What's oh, it's so good. Oh no, it's not. It's no. Okay, <laughs> but have you ever had like real French Canadian poutine? I, I I had poutine in Toronto. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, 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 I think it's like the cheese curds. I'm just. Oh, I love the cheese curds. curds. Oh, <laughs> so good. They squeak in your mouth. <laughs> I feel like it's like ancestral food for me, though. Like, uh, you know, just because I ever ever since I was a kid, when I'd go up there, like my sister and I couldn't wait to get poutine. Like that was a big deal for us. We didn't have it in the states. I don't know. It's so it's so delicious. I feel like it's a sort of a rite of passage if you're going to go there. I love it, but I ate so much when I was up there. Oh, yeah. It's one of the three things you could order in that part of rural Quebec. Every menu. Yeah, it's like literally, it comes with everything. With everything. everything. <laughs> one menu had a whole, because I guess there's many different, like there's a, I don't know what it's called, but there's like an Italian version of poutine. And there was a number of different variations. So we went to one place and you open the menu and there was a poutine menu or a poutine mm-hmm. menu. And that actually had, it was like a grid. And the grid was like, okay, here's potatoes and sizes and here's toppings and gravy and something else. Yeah, you can get it with like, with like a Bolognese, like meat sauce on it. Um, They have like a barbecue version, which is like sweet barbecue sauce. I, frankly, I only like the, the traditional, which is just the brown gravy, the cheese curds and burnt fries because they do they like they fry them in lard and they like over fry them so they have this mm. sort of like really almost burnt kind of flavor <laughs> i guess not a lot of people like that but but I, I enjoy it but i did eat way too much like there was like when we got back i was like i don't want to look at poutine for at least a year like i have eaten way too much well i i will say i don't necessarily like wet stuff like, okay. I, I mean, stuff with too much sauce. Yeah. Right? Okay. I, I, yeah, I, I prefer things a bit, like, dry. drier isn't quite the word, but it's just like, you know, I, I would probably go for a dry rub barbecue rather than a uh, thick barbecue like sauce. On the yeah. Top, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it does get kind of mushy, especially if you don't eat it right away. And the ones at the bottom are just like sopping in the, in the gravy and in the grease. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Those oh, were their dear. real reactions, though. I mean, yeah. We, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if that was the take we used, but one of the takes they were really trying it for the first time. Oh, um, okay. So yeah, that was fun. Yeah, we held it off. <laughs> Outstanding. Um. So hey, I realize you know I don't want to take up all your time, and especially it's your anniversary. So um. You know, you say you've got the, the comedy thing. So uh, is that what we're going to look forward to seeing next? That's probably the next thing that will come out. And that's called, I mean, the title's even to be determined, but it's a comedy mockumentary. So we'll yeah. be talking about it when that is, when that is, uh, when we know when it's being released. Yeah. Okay. We're, there, there's a different production company that's more or less in charge of that one. Right. Um, so they're, yeah, we don't really know. We did at one point know some details, but I, the industry is very strange. And like, you know, the, 
you know, there's not a lot of communication sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll be news to us when it comes out, but we're looking forward to it. We actually spent four years working on that in LA before we shot Curse of Aurora. Yeah. Um, and it's been, you know, just through the whole, they're st still editing it, still doing, you know, fine tuning, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, but that, yeah, that should be with the next six months or so. And then we're also working on, we have a couple different pitches right now that we're working on that are in the horror family. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one, a potential sequel to Curse of Aurora as well. Um, we've had surprising uh, great fan base here in the US. Um, there's a lot of found footage communities, people who are just obsessed with this genre and they have been really amazing to us. Um, and they keep asking us for a sequel. They want to know more about the curse. They want to know more about the cult. They want to know more about Aurora. And so we've we've thought through a couple of different interesting, hopefully interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, if we can get the funding for it, then it's something that we we are seriously considering uh, going back up there for for a sequel. Interesting. So. It's funny too because, like, we we there's a par certainly a part of us that doesn't want to do found footage. Like, we we didn't really yeah. intend on doing found footage, but that's kind of the way it went, and we were like, that yeah. is the best way to tell that story. And now that we want to tell a deeper story that takes you back further and stuff like that, it's a little harder to think how would we do that found footage. And we'd love to do a nice cinematic picture that explains more about the curse and everything. But then we'd lose. A lot of our found footage fans. Okay, found footage fans are amazing. Like these people, they live, breathe. I mean, they just they consume this stuff. They absolutely love it. And if a sequel, like I think the Blair Witch sequel, is not found footage, and mm -hmm. so like unanimously they hate it because it was not found footage. You know, right. so like we we wouldn't want to like lose our base if we didn't mm -hmm. go found footage on that. But um, all the other pitches that we're working on are are not found footage. That yeah. Okay. What about the? Did you watch those? There was a recent um, that's it, Fear Street. There, there was a trilogy that mm -hmm. what came on Netflix. I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen it. No of it, but yeah, no of it. It is. I really enjoyed it. Hmm. I, I really enjoyed, and I I enjoyed the fact they released. I think I feel it was within a month, kind of thing. Every two weeks, huh. a new one. So at the beginning of the month, then midway through, and then at the very end, and so. Yeah, and the way they tie them together, but I feel in one of them, so it was kind of a regular, regularly shot, and then they started to read the diary. So it's kind of then the found footagey kind of thing with the diary, and then okay. it went back to normally shot. Interesting. So, like, I was wondering, could you maybe you check that out? Merge styles. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely ways that you we could do it where it's it starts out partially found footage and then it goes into you know cinematic um or you know one of the, the things that we're thinking about is doing like a docu style which is you know basically a horror mockumentary at that point mm -hmm. um i don't know if you've ever seen the last exorcism um no. but that's okay that's considered found footage and that is a documentary style of of some you know, a, a priest that does exorcisms and because they did it docu style they had room for much you know nicer lighting and better cameras mm -hmm. and uh even even um some score musical score and stuff like that in the background that 
you know, just made it feel a lot more cinematic and a lot less found footage, but yet it is still considered found footage because it's documentary style. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that the sequel of Curse of Aurora uh, will come to you via a dark documentary. Um, hmm. We'll see. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, that sounds great. So, um, <laughs> so for people to be able to, you know, keep track of these projects and everything that you're doing, where can they find you? Well, the first plus time is curseofaurora.com. Right. That's the easy one. It has all the information. But Lana, you can you can go ahead. You're, you're you know um, yeah. So so for for those who are interested in, in all things Curse of Aurora, that's pretty easy because all of our pages are basically just either at Curse of Aurora or uh, slash Curse of Aurora. So Facebook it's slash Curse of Aurora. Instagram is at Curse of Aurora, and Twitter is at Curse of Aurora. And then, of course, Miran just mentioned the website, curseofaurora.com. It's all pretty easy. Um, and what was the other? What was the, the oh, others? Yeah, I guess uh, people could follow us um, if they yeah. wanted to follow yeah. us individually. So uh, I'm on Twitter at Lana Baron um, and on Instagram at Lana B. And Mehran? I'm on Twitter at number nine, spelled N U M B I R nine. And I'm on Instagram at Mehran Tergoli. And that's it. Awesome. Well, I put that information in the episode um, info so uh, people can find those links and follow you. And uh, yeah, keep track of your great work. Thank you know, you. I really hope that this is a, you know, just a crazy success. And I, I look forward to um, what you do next. And hopefully, you'll come back and talk uh, the comedy series thing. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, love Absolutely. to. Yeah, it is. Uh, I feel honored that we have someone someone across the pond who who, who enjoyed our film and, and wanted to take the time to pick our brains about it. You know, we, we were trying for a very, very long time to get Curse of Aurora into the UK. Um, and it was not as easy as pushing a button. A lot of people think it is. It is not. It took, it took a long time for it to finally happen. And so um, it's exciting. It's exciting to know that we can get more eyes on the film and hopefully some more fans out there. And um, we're very active in the in the online you know communities. Um, so if there are people out in the UK who are big fans of found footage, likely they'd find us on one of the found footage uh, Facebook groups. Um, we're often pretty pretty visible there, posting a lot about updates. Um, but yeah, so this Friday, UK has it. So yes, yes. 24 September. 24. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Exciting. I hope we have many more fans out there. Oh, I'm, I am definitely sure you will. Hopefully that hopefully the viewers won't think that we're shit Americans like our characters right. portray. <laughs> I've been hey, I've been I, I love traveling way, over there. Though, it, it's uh you know there, there's a there's a connection because they they're either hoping that you make it out or they're hoping you die. You know what I <laughs> mean? Right. But they're involved. Yes. That's right, they're involved. That's great. Yes. <laughs> love it. No, but I, really, thank you for your time. It was great. I, there's, I, I got an email from uh, AJ Foran, and mm -hmm. every time she hits me up, I know it's going to be something good. Oh, right? awesome. So, uh, yeah, you know, she did good work. She did Yay. good work. And yet again, you, she hit me up with something great. 
Yeah. Awesome. She's been, she's great. Yeah. She's awesome. So. Cool. Great guys. Thank you. Um, Maron, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I really uh, appreciate your time. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed the film. So, awesome. Uh, Love to hear. Yeah. Thank you for taking the Friday, time. Friday, the 24th, Prime Video. Check it out. Curse of Aurora. Boom. You heard it there, people. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay people so um there we go we are done now remember curse of aurora is out in um no so it's on prime yes it's on prime video uk this friday it's already out in the u.s canada so um hey enjoy it you know what I mean? I, I, I honestly, yeah, thought it was a, a, a really interesting take. And, um, yeah, it just, whew, it's a little creepy. It's a little creepy. So um, thank you to Maren and uh, Leanna. Um, yeah, really appreciate the time. And um, AJ, again, for providing another great film to um check out and uh, immerse into all right so if you haven't um done part one yet remember go over we look at three films um other films this week all right so we got that otherwise people we will see you next thursday all right enjoy peace Move something, move something, move something, move something.